Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and we are so glad you're here today. And I know that I say that, don't I say that every single time? I am so excited about our guest today, but I have to give you a little story first. I, I get a lot of questions. And if you're out there in the audience and you started taking video games away or screens away and you know exactly what I'm talking about because people like stop you on the street at your school, wherever. And they say things like, I heard that you don't have video games in your house. And they just look at you like, how is this possible? You know, I get a lot of questions about, um, they kind of don't believe me, right? That we, we just decided that for our family, we decided enough was enough of all the conflict. So our kids are not on social media either. And they are not streaming pornography in our house either. And then by the time I say all that, the parents are usually thinking that I'm really weird and some sort of alien. But then I quickly try to tell them things they do. So I'm going to share just really quick before we get started today, just kind of what happened this weekend. The next time you have a chance, go to our website and you'll see a little news story that my son Andrew helped us make, gosh, seven years ago. It was just a local news. And one of the reporters met me one day and she said, what do you mean you don't have video games in your house? And I told her and she said, you know, would your, would, would your son, like, would one of your kids ever come on and talk? And I said, sure, they'll come. She, and I don't think she believed this was possible, right? So she's talking to little Andrew, he's in third grade, and we get on the set with the re, um, reporter. And so Andrew starts talking about what they do instead of playing video games. And he talks about board games. And he mentioned Axis and Allies. And the reason why I want you to watch this, because it's so funny that he mentions this, now, seven years later, he's 16. And for Christmas this year, he got the big version of Access and Allies, which is this game that takes up our entire dining room table with two leaves in it. Okay, so if you can imagine this game, it's huge. It's some kind of war board game thing. And it has like the little people and the ships and all this stuff. And then when I remembered that this weekend, when he has the whole dining room set up, because my friends always say, what do your kids do? Oh, well, they play games, but we just play different games. And I just bring this up today because our guest is going to talk about raising your kids from the very early years to fill their life and to fill their cup with these things that you want them to do. So the point of my story is that little gamers grow up to be big gamers, but you get to decide what game they're playing. So for Andrew, he just had this love of Axis and Allies when he was only in third grade. And guess what? He still does. Adam, on the other hand, my oldest, you know, he he grew a love of video games and he had trouble with all that when he went to college. So I just think it's really interesting as I look at our life now and, and as we talk today about these patterns that we establish. And so Megan Owens is our guest today and we are so excited to have you, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. Megan has her PhD and she is an author, a parent counseling psychologist and a professor. And I don't know how you do all those things. <laughs> that is a lot that you have on your plate. She's also the co-founder of Screen Free Parenting. She lives with her husband and two children who are now six and eight years old. And then she's also just releasing her new book, Spoiled Right. So welcome, Megan. So glad you're here. 
Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, Melanie. We look up to you because our kids aren't quite that age yet. So we look to you for the tips for the, the older kids. For the older, because it's coming. You yeah. blink, Megan, you blink, no kidding, and your kids are 16. Like, it's this the weirdest thing that happens, which is a good thing, but it's just shocking. And so I'm so glad that you connected with us. I am so thrilled to chat with you today about this most important topic, especially for little kids. And I want everybody to know, Megan is right in the thick of it right now. I have been in the thick of it for sure with four kids, but I'm also sort of a, a few steps ahead. And so I love that we can cover all these ages. Megan, first of all, just why did you become so passionate about this? Like, what was the thing? Like for me, obviously people know I had a kid that I kind of messed up with his screen time, but for you, what, what, what happened? Why did you get passionate about screen issues and kids? I feel like we have a bit of a marketing problem. Those of us who try to get the word out about research um, and limiting screens, that it's just hasn't been something that is popular or cool to do, <laughs> even though I think it's very cool. Um, yeah. You know, and so I also saw a lot of infighting that the idea of whether you allow screens or not is apparent war, a mommy war, an infighting thing. And it's it's really not. It's really a persuasive design thing, right? Um, <laughs> and so the it's not us against each other. It's really us against the persuasive design that makes the programs so enticing for those little brains that once you introduce them, it's really hard to take them away. Um, and that's what results in parents feeling like, well, how do you do any, how do you not have screens? How do you do anything? And it's because the screen has created a problem in their house, right? Like an entertainment problem that only the screen can solve. You know, it becomes this like feedback loop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we just wanted to, one, on, on the one hand, get research and information out there. But then we totally throw our our family out there as, hey, we're an example. We're like really normal, nice, cool people. But we yeah. also don't let our kids play with screens, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we never mm -hmm. have. Um and, and it's okay. You can, you can do that. You can totally just opt out of it, especially during the first five, six years of your kid's life. Yeah. Well, I love that you're so transparent on your site and that's really what helps families and with, with our stories. Well, you know, people are usually saying, gosh, how can you share all that? And I'm like, I can't not share it. And that's probably how you feel too, when you are discovering all these things that work and your book is full of ideas that I'm sure you have done. And um, and so when you discover this, you just have to share it with people. That's why I appreciate so much about everything that you do. And you're just right in the Petri dish, if you will. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like I am. <laughs> Don't you feel like yeah. it's like, oh, you're taking notes every day. Is this really working? Yes, it's really working. And it's yeah. so fun. And it's just, it's just this thing that we have to share. But I, I imagine just with your background with all the work that you've done with your studies and stuff that you you see it very clearly like I do from the medical perspective and from the research and the data and everything that's coming in and it's really important to break that down and share it with parents because without yeah. that information they won't know they won't be motivated to make any changes and the research paints a really clear picture and I don't think that always gets out um, so I think there's there's this pull to present both sides of an issue in the media, and I understand that, and that's good, um, except for when, you know, 
the preponderance of studies show that you need to have limits. Um, and then there's maybe one person who says, no, you don't need to. And you present them as they're both equal. Um, and the, the research really shows those, those two sides. The research is not equal on both sides. It really, really shows that limits work for children, that they will do better in school. They will do better in their relationships. They will sleep better if their screen time is, is pretty strictly limited. Um, and that just doesn't get out enough, I think. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, the point that you just brought up in, in media and in news and stuff in general. People always want to say there's two sides, but when there's factual research, empirical evidence out there, you know, there's really not always two sides. I mean, it's it's either like, like you could say smoking, you know, really increases your risk for cancer. Well, are some people going to be fine if they smoke? Yeah, they will, but but the chances are, and so that's kind of where we fall with everything in our physical recommendations, right? In the medical world. I mean, you're going to find the outlier person that smoked a pack of cigarettes a day and they're a hundred years old, right? But what we're talking about is what the data shows, what the research shows. And let's start with um, some of that data. Let's unpack a little bit. I want to hear um, your thoughts on the relationship between excessive screen time and attention difficulties, because I feel like for this age, we're talking about young kids today. I think, isn't this generally the first thing they present with when they are starting to see signs of problems? It's this attention thing and they don't know, you know, parents are confused about this. So talk about the science behind that and just that early sensory deprivation and how that can cause really permanent brain damage. Right. And so this can be difficult to tease apart. Um, so kids' attentional abilities are developing. They're particularly developing four, five, six years old, um, but they continue to develop um, throughout high school. And there's a fair amount of research that shows a relationship in between entertainment-based screen time. So we're talking about video games or television programs, those sorts of things, um, and difficulties with attention. So there's a study that shows um, by Christakis that shows that the for each hour of entertainment-based screen time at age three, there's a 10% increase in the likelihood of attentional problems when that same kid hits school at age seven. Wow. So back up on that a minute. So I've read the study before too. So um, each hour, like a day or the in their schedule for the week? Like, how do you quantify that? It was quantified as each hour per day of yeah. entertainment programming, um, a 10% so increase. Yeah. So they have like two hours a day, then they're going to have like a 20% increase. Does that make Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 20% more likely wow. um, to have attention problems at age seven. And so the, the critique is always, and it's a valid critique. Well, you know, that's just correlational. So Something mm -hmm. could be causing some some third factor could cause both the attention problem and you know the the screen time thing, mm -hmm. and that's true. But with attention, we also have experimental studies where they bring kids into the lab and they show them a clip, specifically a fast paced clip. Mm -hmm. um, and most children's programming and video games are fast paced; yes. they have tons of screen shifts in them. Um, so they show them a fast paced clip. In one research study, they showed them a three and a half minute clip and another one, a nine minute clip. So these are short clips, right? Like it's not like an hour 
um, of screen time. They show them this short clip and then they ask them to do a test that requires continuous attention or executive functioning. And they perform worse than the kids who don't watch the clip. And that's just three and a half minutes. Um, And that's experimental. So you can draw the conclusion there that the fast paced clip is causing an attentional issue in that child in that moment. There's research on teens too, Melanie. Like there was a study two years ago in California that looked at teens who were high frequency users of multiple platforms. And at after a two year period, they were more likely to have attentional problems. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I'm likely to have attentional problems too. <laughs> after, after I'm watching, uh, you know, things flip around on my phone, so I have to turn it off. So yeah, this is, this is so important for young parents to understand. And we're, we're not here giving you this information because there's some sort of um, test going on or judgment going on. We all use TV to mm-hmm. babysit our kids. I mean, it's just, I mean, Megan, you, ha- you have, I have, we, we have moments in our life where I remember with the twins when they were little, they were nine months, 10 months, you know, a, a year they're running around. The house. How do I even go get the mail. Like I couldn't figure out how do I go to the bathroom? Like with one, you can sort of carry them around and maybe do some, but with two, I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do that. So we would put Thomas the train on or something. And it was a wonderful babysitter, but I had no idea at that time that what, what Megan's talking about right now, I, I of course understand this now, but the fast pace cartoons, like SpongeBob is like one of the worst where it's a screen change every three seconds, which is about normal for um, cartoons. In fact, there are some cartoons that have warning labels for this phonetic change. The screen changes are too fast for a child. There's like warning labels on this. I think Powerpuff Girls was one of them that had this huge warning label. So we're not making this stuff up. This is like in the lab research to say, in the second study that Megan, you just touched on, where they show the kids these short clips and then turn around and hand them a worksheet and see if they can do some type of cognitive task. That That's in time. That's not cumulative. That's happening right there in that moment. So when you think about your kids, you know, watching a, a fast-paced cartoon, and then you give them a book to read, well, that's going to be harder. It's you, They can't transition off of that because this excessive screen time has just stimulated them so much. So... Megan, this has always been a question of mine. So let me ask you, when we're talking about this sensory overstimulation, but then we also know that when kids are left alone with not enough stimulation, like in the orphanages and all the horrible stories that we've read about years ago, um, you know, that they're neglected. How, what is the difference? Explain the difference in good stimulation and maybe, you know, not so good stimulation that you find on a screen. Right. So when we're talking about, for ex- the most common example is the children in Romanian orphanages who who had no, nobody was picking them up. Nobody was talking to them. Nobody was responding mm-hmm. to their needs. I mean, incredibly sensory deprived infants. Your kids don't need sensory information, stimulation every moment of every day. Sure, they need you to pick them up. They need you to talk to them. They need you to narrate what's going on. They need to actually just be around while you talk to your spouse or your other kids. Mm -hmm. 
All that is sensory information. They are brand new. They just got here. The colors in your room, the colors on the mobile, the book on the floor, that's all sensory information. Um, and if we allow them that sensory information over time, what happens is their attentional abilities, their ability for self-directed play develops slowly. And so then we can go get the mail or we can, mm -hmm. you know, quickly cook something um, and they can sit and they can page through a book or they can sit and they can play with some toys um, in a safe space. If we give them the screen early when we can't pay attention to them, we kind of hijack that. And then when we go to, we, we develop a habit there and then we go to take a shower or we go to cook dinner and the kid is a nightmare unless we give mm -hmm. them the screen. Mm -hmm. And that I think is what leads to that. Like, well, how do you do this? You're, you're expecting me to be perfect. You're expecting me, I can't get anything done. Well, no, you, you can. I mean, I, I'm not with my kids all the time. And I wasn't when they were little either. Um, and so you can, but the kid has to have the ability to develop that over time. It's the same thing with emotion regulation. If we hand the screen every time they're upset, they get no exposure to dealing with these negative feelings of like, mommy's not paying attention to me. I'm bored. I hurt myself. I'm tired. I'm hungry, whatever. And we want them to have little exposures to those emotions over time. So they know how to deal with them. Like we want them to have like these little mini bears, I call it kind of the little mini stresses of um, dealing with life. So then they get better at being regulated and better at dealing with the bigger bears when they come, you know, because we right. can't. So this, that's a really good way to put it though, that, that they need to get used to all the sensory input around them without this overly done sensory input, which is what is represented on a screen. And again, it's not that all screens are bad. There are certain shows, for example, that are much better. Anything yep. like Mr. Rogers, for example, is right. Mm -hmm. That's very slow paced and it's extremely painful for a parent to sit there and listen to Mr. Rogers because he's so slow, but he was brilliant because he knew that that was the pace that they needed. So when you're talking about the orphanages and I, I think you touched on something when I looked through your book about just the, the basis of good childcare, you know, cause we, we can't always just be playing patty cake, you know, with our yeah. kids all day. Right. So, but there are certain things that when kids are neglected, of course their brains don't thrive, their brains aren't growing. And then there's certain things that when that we do them, that they do get the best experience and their brains do grow. And so you had, um, I think there were three things that I remember the strong infant parent attachment was one of, them. the yeah. empathetic responses and the firm limits and explain those three things a little bit. And then how do you manage this? If your child's in a daycare center, how do you make sure these mm. things are going on? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's always the in that I talk about for screen time is, you know, there's why we have these negative associations with screens. And so you can ask why, right? And sometimes the answer is like the content, which is what we've been talking about. If the screen content is really fast paced, um, you know, if the screen content is aggressive, for example, then maybe the negative associations are because the screen is causing the problem. But there's a whole nother theory, which is the displacement hypothesis. At, at least some of the negative effects of screen time are due to displacement, which means 
the screen could be perfectly fine. You could be showing them something great, like Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. But if they're doing it for an excessive amount of hours per day, it's taking up space that would be taken up by other activities. And so Mm -hmm. this is like super challenging as a parent because you have to orient not only to what your kid is doing, screen time, but also to what they're not doing and would be doing if it weren't for the screen, which maybe you don't even know the answer to, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like you don't know what they would have been doing. And that's what we're finding now with our boys, our younger boys, that they're, you know, playing Axis and Allies. Well, I wouldn't have known that if they were playing video games. Like I wouldn't have known that they were, they could even do that, or that was even going to be a thing, or that was even an option. So I love this, this idea. But yeah, let's get in that some more. But before we dive super into that, explain how that so when you drop your kid off at a daycare center, for example, yeah. or even when you're working at home, you yeah. know, Megan, it's the same thing, right? So what do we do to ensure that they're getting the right kind of um, replacement, you know, activity, right. the right kind of stimulation? That's what's really cool about, you know, the screen time research might be kind of newer, right? So this has only been around, well, you know, the iPad yeah. for like, 10 years, television in general for maybe 50 years, like it's all new, but all the research on what kids need, um, that stuff, that research is 50 to 100 years old. So it's not, it's not controversial anymore to say that children need an involved caregiver. Children can attach to more than one caregiver. They attach to mom and dad or mom and mom. Um, they attach to mom and dad and daycare provider or nanny or grandma, that's all okay. They can attach to multiple caregivers. Um, So as long as you have an involved, responsive caregiver um, at daycare or at home, that that is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But that research is old and that's what's nice about it is like, you don't actually have to follow every single study that comes out about screen time. But you can look at the research, and this is what I really do in the book, about all those activities that are really good for children. And you can say, oh, well, this is not controversial at all. Like there are no negative effects to getting my kids outside more or to reading more, you know, like I don't have to worry about like, what are the good books? Um, And, you know, what what are the good types of leaves or trees? Like it's super (laughs) simple and um, it just makes parenting a lot easier to focus on those things that we've known for a really long time are good for kids, like responding to them, but also letting them have their own independent time where they're playing and they're directing their day. And if it's access and allies or whatever it is, right, that they're, mm-hmm. they're allowed time where they're not scheduled and they're not handed a screen, but instead they're expected to be able to figure out what they want to do. And even an infant can do that. They're not as long, of course, um, mm-hmm. as an older child, but even a very young child can play independently by themselves for a period of time. And that grows as they develop and they have more exposure to it. So if you want your toddler or four or five-year-old to get their best experience away from you when they're in a daycare situation or with grandma or dad, you you want to know about this. You want to say, hey, let's not turn the TV on all day. Let's do this right. instead. You want to sort of interview the daycare providers. You want to see if they are registered with NAEYC or you know, the organization yeah. that registers them. And I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that a, a, quite a few of the for-profit centers that middle-class families are using really are feeling behind in this. And so, yeah. um, again, as a parent, it is our job to be sure that we don't go overboard, but that we 
vet, of course, um, who's watching our kids. And, and this is something that I caught on to really early when I started doing the research on what happened to my oldest son and then what to do with my younger three kids. And I realized exactly what you're saying, that it's not so much about taking it away. It's about what are we going to allow mm-hmm. and what are we going to replace it with? And so I had to rethink what we were doing in our home and the course that we're working on right now, they'll be released pretty soon. I, I actually go through every room of your house and I explain how you can make it um, more appropriate for them to increase their chances that they will choose <laughs> activities like Access and Allies <laughs> instead yeah. of turning on um, Netflix. So let's talk about that whole issue about what we're going to replace in, you know, instead. So again, it's not that all screens are bad and people say, oh, do you no. tell people to throw their TVs out in the, the backyard? I'm like, no, my TV is actually on a shelf. It's not in the grass in the backyard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's talk about from a developmental perspective, really what little kids need, but also really the, the list that I'm sure you're going to say is really for all kids, right? Yeah. And for adults too, you know, we, we need it too. We need our time outside and our, our breaks from the screens. Yeah, we could say that replacing it with anything is fine, right? Yeah. Um, but really what I say- I think you're almost right. I think anything is better than, no, go ahead. Give me the, the top five things that we all need to, and all our listeners needed to get their pen out and start writing a few yeah. notes here. Or you, really, you really don't even need your pen because I love mnemonics. So what I yes. say in the book is looking at the research these are the five things that are literally the antidote to screen time. Like every negative effect that we see with screen time, whether it's sleep or weight or attention difficulties, these are the five things that actually have the opposite effect on those things. Um, And so if you're making sure your kid's day is filled with those, you can have a family movie night and not worry about it, right? Right. Um, And so those are, we use the, the mnemonic spoil, that you want to spoil your child uh, and that's the the title of the book, Spoiled Right. So social activities, you want them to have time with, with you, with each other, doing things like access and allies. Play-based activities, I'm sorry, ABC Mouse, but research shows continuously play-based activities for our under fives. Imaginative play are far more effective at developing those executive functioning skills that they need in kindergarten and first grade than any sort of electronic educational programming. The O is for outdoor activities, good for our eyes, good for our bodies, good for our mental health. Um, and it's negatively uh, correlated with screen time. So the more time kids are spending outside, the less total screen time they have. I stands for my most unpopular one, which is independent work. Um, but that children need to do chores. They need to be involved <laughs> in family teamwork and helping out. Homework could fall under there too, right? But I mean, the research on how much chores previous generations did and then what they're requiring of their children. I mean, it's like 80% of parents say, yeah, I did chores as a kid and 20% of them are requiring it of their kids. Oh my gosh. And the Harvard grant study, you know, that's the one that I love because it talks about it's a happiness study over, what was it, 70 years or something? And um, and at the end of the 70 year study, what you know, it wasn't money, it wasn't uh, wealth and fame and all the stuff that made people happy. 
And it was the fact that they grew up doing hard work and they had really close relationships, but the chores was in there. I couldn't believe yes. it. It was like, oh my goodness, that made them happy. They did chores. Like that was the thing that came out of, out of that study. So I love that I is my favorite, by the way. <laughs> oh, good. So somebody <laughs> likes it. I mean, my kids. Somebody do. likes it. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the Northeast. We're in the middle of a huge snowstorm and my kids were out shoveling with their dad and run, learning how to use the snowblower. Good. And they were doing awesome. And they came in right before I joined you and they were like, we did that. You know, they felt yeah. so good about it. The they same feel way so accomplished, yeah. you know, and that's why I love it so much because with that accomplishment comes the motivation to continue to do productive things, which we know builds all the other foundational things that you need to be a good human. <laughs> you need to have exactly. that motivation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And helping, helping others, like realizing there's all these people outside myself who have all these things to accomplish today. That's um, right. And I can meaningfully contribute to what they're doing. Right. Uh, yeah. I could talk yeah. about chores all day, but, and so then the, <laughs> the L, the L is stands for literacy based activities. So another thing that's inversely correlated with screen time is how much time you spend reading or your child reading to you or listening to audiobooks. So it seems like screen time and reading are activities that um, are almost interchangeable and in that families do them the same way, like when they're winding down at night, but the benefits of reading are incredible as opposed to screen time potentially wiring your kid up before bedtime. Right, I always say that, you know, whenever you hand a child an iPad, an iPhone, or a video game, that you have now just replaced the book because right. the book is about the same size actually too. So <laughs> it, 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 the minute they get the electronics in their hand, this is what goes out the door. Reading is the first thing to go out the door. Yeah. If that is not a reason enough to delay this business, then I don't know what is. Other than chores and getting used to using a toilet brush is what I tell them my kids, my kids all the time. That's what our big joke is here. If you're bored, oh, you're bored. Well, here's the toilet brush. So my mine kids are, are still bored. at an age where they love the. They toilet love brush. the toilet brush. Yeah, they fight over the toilet brush. <laughs> they think it's the best. Good. That's awesome. That's awesome. But reading is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. First thing to go. Yeah, there was just another research study just published this month from Penn State, a researcher, Paul Morgan at Penn State, they looked at what predicted um, fifth graders being high frequency users of video games and social media. Um, and then they looked at what protected them against it. So they had data from these kids when they were in kindergarten and then data from them when they were in fifth grade. And one of the things that they found is that the book reading in kindergarten predicted whether they would be high frequency users in fifth grade. So how wow. much time their parents spent reading to them, how much time you know, they read to their parents how many books they had in the home. So it really is an activity that goes both ways. You lose it when you have too much screen time, but you also can edge out the screen time if you can create some habits around books are a really fun way to connect, to relax, you know, yeah. interesting. That can kind of edge out some of the screen time. Yes. And then you develop that love for that, you know, just like Andrew with his access and allies, he doesn't know mm -hmm. that a lot of kids don't like that game because it's really hard. So he developed that love for it. it. They don't know any different. And so when you teach and develop this love for reading in kindergarten, you have reading time, like a reading roundup, you know, every afternoon you get the blankets and the popcorn and mom's reading and all the kids are reading. You, you make it part of your family culture 
they don't know any different. They don't know what they're missing because this is so fun now. Absolutely. Yeah, that was just published this month. The other thing that it showed, which was really cool, um, so there were two things that were protective against the kids becoming high-frequency users in fifth grade. One was that reading. The other one was um, the amount of rules that parents had about TV in kindergarten. So if the parents had a limit on total time, what shows they were allowed to watch, and how close to sleep, so bedtime and morning time, um, wow. then those kids were less likely to become high-frequency users. So it kind of drives me nuts in the pandemic um, because we do you do still need rules in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. People like to throw out their rules, you know, during the pandemic. But I love it when these studies, like, keep confirming every other study out there. Like, it, <laughs> it's not like an isolated weird thing. Like, oh, no, no. that's what this study and that's what this study. And they keep doing these studies and they keep saying the same thing, like you said. And pretty soon you know, I don't know how many years it'll take, we won't even have to worry about studies showing increased screen time being problematic because everybody will just know that, you know, and right. um, it will self-fulfill itself. But that is fascinating that the rules, I, I think part of that is just, don't you think the discipline and learning how to live with the no, that it's okay that when mom says no, it means no. And, and the, the child just gets used to understanding that they're not in charge. And I think that's the huge lesson there. And we're developing habits. So, you know, that's, that's the reason why we don't throw rules out when life gets a little chaotic and stressful. Of course, if, you know, things are going really poorly in your family and you're having a really hard time, things might slide for, for a little bit. Sure. But the yeah. more that you can hold on to the structure um, and, and the rules, we're developing habits. And the pandemic has now lasted for a year. It's going to last for, you know, another big chunk of time. And so we don't want to have no rules during like this two-year period, right? Yeah, that's my first tip to parents right now during the pandemic is do not throw away your screen rules. If anything, make them stronger and mm -hmm. use this time that you have, this gift of this extra time to develop these other hobbies and habits and love you know, for other things. But we tend to, like I did in the first week of the pandemic, I made dessert every night. Don't ask me why I don't ever make dessert, like dessert, like, you know, but I'm thinking, I'm feeling like I'm on vacation or something. I'm like, wait a minute. I had to right. wake up after the fifth. My kids are like, mom, you're making pies every night. This is great. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not on vacation. I forgot. <laughs> I got to quit pretending like we're on vacation. This is not a big vacation where all the rules are out the window and we can just eat all the sugar in the house. Um, right. We have to pay closer attention to this. And so this boiled list is really good. What This is going to be so great that we can all put this on our refrigerator and use this as our guide. So what is the E? That That's it. It's just S-P-O-I-L. I, so spoiled. Oh, so yeah. we don't have the E-D spoiled? Oh, I see. No. So we'll no. have to make up the ED. Okay. So the E I think should be, let me give you a tip. <laughs> Education or something. Yeah. I don't know. We, we no. could totally come up with it, right? We could totally. I'm just kidding. So no, seriously, the entertainment should not be online. This is a good rule of, of thumb in general for kids of all ages that your entertainment should always be offline. And when you think about that, you'll eliminate most of the problems we have with screens. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't sit down as a family and watch a wonderful family movie. That, that's, that doesn't really fall into this. We're talking about entertainment that kids are doing on their own, their self-guided entertainment. 
honestly, in our house, that's kind of the rule. You're, you're just not, you're going to take that entertainment outdoors with your friends. You're going to be social out in the backyard, not on your, your screen. And the same with social media, same reason why you don't have to deal with that problem right now with your kids being so young, but we take all these same rules and apply it to social media as well. And our social life is offline and our entertainment life is offline. And that tends to really help if you're kind of wondering, you know, if you're out there listening, your kids are a little bit older, you know, well, aren't they being social on their, their games, Megan? I mean, come on, your kids are only eight years old, right? So what, I mean, what would you, you know, so what Megan's doing is she is creating all these wonderful habits and this lifestyle. You're creating a lifestyle that says, this is what we do to have fun. This is what we do to entertain ourselves. And yeah, every now and then we watch a movie and we have friends over even to watch the movie, but that's not our main focus. So the social activities, the play-based activities, doing this outside, the independent work, the literacy, all that is so good. It's very helpful, very easy to remember that. And and there is no negative. It reminds me of, um, I one time heard a fitness guru talking about how he doesn't drink coffee and I, I definitely drink coffee, so I'm not as good as him. But um, he talked about how he doesn't drink coffee because he doesn't want something in his body that his body like reacts negatively to if he doesn't have it. And he's like, no matter, you know, mm-hmm. I never get a headache from eating too much broccoli. And I never, you know, um, you know, and I never like get withdrawal from not having my broccoli or whatever. And the the same thing can be applied to those spoil categories. Like you're, there's no mm-hmm. negative effects. Like you can't overdo your kids playing right? You can't overdo your kids reading. You can't do too much outdoor time or too much of your kids socializing with other people like that. You're, it's not complicated. It's simple. simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to write contracts about how many Lego buildings your child can build, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like you don't, you don't have to be such a, a no person when you are saying yes to all of these really, really fun things, when you're saying like, what are the things you love? We're going to do more of that. That is such a great point. I want everybody to really digest that. We don't have to be the negative Nelly, right? We are not always going to be the no person. That's not what it's about. It's about getting your kids to love things outside of that very small, dark little screen world. And, you know, right when you said that, I just had this great memory of when my boys were maybe in sixth grade, fifth grade, and we do these sandlot baseball things all the time because I learned that I don't mind being that mom getting all the mud in my car. I will pick everybody up and take them all to the baseball field. And I sit very far away. So only to have to, you know, go take somebody to get stitches if we need stitches. That's (laughs) the only reason why I'm there. And I let them do the free play and free play is very different than structured play. And so this is really cool. But what you just said reminded me of a day when we were out on the Sandlot baseball field and I was just close enough where I could hear these boys. They were chattering and chattering and who knew boys could talk so much and they're just going 90 miles an hour all talking and they're in the little dugout and they got on the short field because they wanted to all hit home runs out of the fence. And one of the boys who actually was a big gamer and that's why I went to pick him up because I asked his mom, do you think he'll come play baseball with us? She said, oh, sure, cool. get him out of the house, get him off his game. So he, of all kids, he stood up and he turned to the dugout and he said, guys, this is so much more fun than playing a video game. Mm-hmm. 
oh my goodness. And I heard him say that. And I'm like, yes, you're right. You know, and of course I'm up way up on the hill on the picnic table, but I heard him say it. And this is exactly what you're talking about here. And when we talk to people that, that say, well, don't your kids hate you? And um, they don't have any fun and they don't have any friends. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just the opposite. They have so much more fun. It, and now we think about video games. It's like, those are just not fun. <laughs> this other stuff is so much more fun. And so I love that you bring this up. It's not the no, it's saying yes to the Sandlot baseball. What could be more fun when you're a sixth grade boy? Yeah, it's it's a perspective shift. And we really need to help parents with that perspective shift. Because if it is about saying no to screens, that's an avoidance goal. And that, you know, our willpower is limited. It doesn't feel fun to say no, to try not to do something, right? Like we know that yeah. from dieting research, like it's really hard for humans to continually to say no to something they don't want to do. Yeah. I love that when you said that in your book about the diet where you, you really nailed that. That was so cool. Cause you said, you don't say no to all the desserts and sugary junk that you're not supposed to eat. You say yes to all the good things you can eat. And then you get full on the good things, right? Exactly. And it's this, it's the same thing with screens, right? And that's, that's not just, that's not even my perspective. That's the researchers, researchers yeah. perspective, right? Like it does not work. We know dieting doesn't work in terms of um, eliminating or cutting calories that people are more likely to weigh more. Huge meta-analyses of studies show that, but we do know that if you know, in the study where they took one obese parent, families who had one obese parent, they told some of them cut high fat, high sugar foods. The other group, they told them nothing about that, but instead said, increase your fruit and vegetable intake. And those are the families that did better at the one year follow-up because it was an approach goal. It was something positive. Like who wants to be the family that's like, you know, we don't eat donuts and cakes versus the family who's like, oh my gosh, have you ever had a fresh mango with lime juice on it. Like, or, you know, we're like, we're going to make, you know, whatever, we're going to get starfish or, you know, like it's fun to be that family. It's fun to move towards something. And so I think you can sit down like with, with kids of any age and ask them, what do you want to do more of and make that a family goal? And it, it decreases the screen time naturally. And then, and what you're doing right now with your young kids is so key this is so key. So for y'all that are listening that have young kids, just take every word and just take it to the bank. This is so key. If your kids are a little bit older, you're okay. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm going to still keep talking to you and coaching you along, but it is so much easier when they're younger. And even if they're a little bit older today, is still the best day to start doing this, you know, because tomorrow they're going to be older than they are today. So you, you've got to start these habits. So let's talk about the final thing. The, the parent's role and what they can can do about, I, what I love about um, monitoring and, you know, the best thing that parents can do, of course, is to be involved with their kids and monitoring. And you have this study that you talked about, Doug Gentile's study, and Doug is a very good friend of mine, and I love the study. And just in case you didn't know, this is Doug's favorite study out of all the studies that he's done. <laughs> the one about, that shows the effects of parental monitoring on this whole issue of screen time. So what happens, unpack that a minute for us, explain that study and what happens. Yeah, so this is similar to the one that was just published this month from Penn State. Um, but Doug followed third, fourth, and fifth graders, a little over a thousand of them over the course of six months. 
Um, and he looked at parental monitoring at time one, and that was defined in four key ways. And that's really important because it's like the four things you can do, right? So one, it was limiting total screen time. So you, so you decide we're not, we're going to do screen time for an hour or half an hour, whatever, but limiting, having a limit on total screen time per day. Um, it was watching with your child. So watching or playing or co-viewing like Melanie's talking about with a movie night. It was then taking that a step further and discussing what you saw, right? Mm. And then keeping the screens out of single-use areas like bedrooms. So it's something that we do together, not something that you do alone. So those are four key things that you can implement right now. And in this longitudinal study, he found a relationship in between parental monitoring, those four things, um, and kids' total sleep, kids' prosocial behavior, kids' academic performance, and an inverse relationship with aggressive behaviors when those four things were being done in the home. Yeah, and their, yeah, their weight too, I think. Yeah. yeah, and the less aggressive behavior when they were seeing less violent media exposure. This is a fascinating study. It is, it is just bingo. I mean, it's yeah. exactly showing that parents everyone out there listening, you have everything you need to prevent or fix the problem in your house. And it doesn't cost anything. And it's, it's never too late either. You know, there's, um, there's the research study on the young adults that spent five days in a like summer camp outdoor experience. And after the five days, they were better at reading emotional cues. So it's not like parents are always worried, like, oh, no, I've allowed this. You, know, you can always reel it in. I mean, I do that all the time with other stuff where I realize, oh, I, sh I shouldn't have been doing X, Y, or right. Z. Um, right. and, you, and you reel it in. So you can make those changes now and they have a big impact. Yeah. And it's, and it's just all based in science, but it's also based in really practical common sense. And the benefits are unbelievable. I mean, that mm -hmm. we're not talking about whether a kid's you know, want to play baseball or football or whatever, these kind of other decisions. This is a huge decision that makes incredible differences down the road. And yes, it is possible to actually have happy kids in a, in a relatively game-free home, you know, <laughs> and, and it's, and it's completely possible for you to choose the games your kids play, like Axis and Allies versus Call of Duty. That is yeah. the the parent's choice in Doug Gentile's study has shown over and over that parents have to be in charge. Kids cannot do this on their own. Megan, this has just been, oh my gosh, the time is just flying by and this has just been so <laughs> great. And I know I have my new research buddy. I can call you and we can discuss studies. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love chatting about it. I can do this all day long. Oh, so good. Well, I'm definitely going to um, have to have you send me some stuff and we'll share it with our group. I want you to share though, before we go, just, I'll put you on the spot, just share one tip for parents before we go that you want them, that you just want to leave with, with them today. I want you to start thinking about it with your kids as what do you want to do more of? What, what do you want more of in your life? And asking your kids that question and then really taking it seriously and allowing that the fun to lead, right? So figuring out what that is that's really fun that people want to do more of and letting that lead. I think also we can, I'll give two, sorry, Melanie. You're good, you're good. <laughs> give us three. 
you can join your kids in it. So we do um, screen-free Saturdays where I totally shut down the computers and the lap, the, you know, the the phones and everything. And our kids know about that. They don't have their own devices, but they know like, no, we can't take a picture. We don't turn our phones on on Saturdays. And I think that like joining your kids, hey, there's stuff I want to do more of too that I get distracted by my phone or I get distracted by work. And let's figure out one, you know, what the day is that we're going to do more of these things together. Cause it's not just about them. It's not us versus them. It's the whole family versus technology that's designed to grab our attention more than we want it to. Right. And that modeling, of course, we always hear about that, but you really just succinctly really wrapped that up really well and explained that it's a lifestyle, right? That's what you're describing. And Mm -hmm. it starts from the the top. You, you you can't expect your kids to come up with all this stuff on their own. So those tips were wonderful. Do, you know, what do you want to do more of? What a great question. I'm going to ask my kids that actually today when they come <laughs> home. <laughs> I think I might ask my husband that too. And yeah. I might need to come up with an answer. <laughs> That's yeah. a wonderful question. And to lead with the fun things, to minimize the complaining, you know, and not let complaining take the lead but lead with the fun things. And as the parent coach that you are, you are all wonderful coaches for your kids. That's your job as a coach to set those firm limits, but also to have fun and to have that strict, but loving environment. And that, and that's, that's what I appreciate so much, Megan, about everything that you said today. You've that that's really the foundation for everything that you're talking about. So um, Megan, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you, Melanie. This was so fun. And thanks everyone for listening in. Please share this with your friends and head over to our website to learn more about the Screen Strong Challenge to get your kids off these crazy screens and make sure you join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. You are not alone. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.